Hey, Jacob's World Podcast, thanks for checking us out this week. We are starting a new book, the book of Ephesians. This book is a cornerstone in the New Testament, and so it's super important that a growing and maturing person, a growing and maturing Christian, really gets an understanding of what this book is all about. Now, in this book, we are going to rediscover and reimagine the gospel. We are going to see it in a way that we've never seen it before, and it's going to change everything. Can't wait to get started. Here we go. So what are you in? I mean, you're in something. Interesting little word, I-N, to be in something, you know. Uh, What you're in kind of determines your life. I mean, it determines how you spend your time, what your focus is, who you're going to spend your time with, how you're going to treat the people you spend your time with, what are the relationships, how, how you set your priorities, how you spend your money. What are you in? I mean, you can be in a lot of things, like some of you are in school, and that shapes your life. Some of you are in business, and that shapes your life. Some of you are in trouble, and that shapes your life. (laughs) You can be in all kinds of different things. You can be in retirement. You can be in the military. You can be involved in sports or dance or clubs. You can be in a biking group, a golf group, a fishing league. Some of you are getting ready to be in hunting season, and that will dominate some of our lives in a fantasy football league and unfortunately that dominates some people's lives some of you think you're in charge all right I won't blow pop that bubble you can be in a season of life you can be in the teen years or you can be entering into empty nest and everything in between You can be in good health, you can be in bad health, you can be in over your head, you can be in debt, you can be in jail, you can be in recovery, you can be in grief. You can be into all kinds of different things, but it's a word that positions us, it sets us, it shows our relationship to the rest of the world. What are you in? Now, last weekend, we had 51 people who were baptized. They went into the water, and they were plunged under the water. And that's a picture of, of being immersed or, 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 or buried or, 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 or fully invested in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It, it is a powerful concept that, that is, is not deeply understood, but it is a concept that absolutely changes everything. It changes how you think, how you spend your time, what your priorities are, and we as followers of Christ are called to be in Christ. Now, this weekend we're beginning a study of a book in the New Testament called Ephesians, and Ephesians is truly one of the most important books in the entire Bible. It, it is, many people call it the cornerstone of the New Testament. The things that are taught there are absolutely foundational. Now, the cool thing about the book of Ephesians is that it was written by this guy by the name of Apostle Paul to a beloved church in Ephesus, a church that he had lived with, a church that was faithful, very different than the church we looked at last spring, Corinth. Corinth was just kind of a mess, couldn't get out of their own way. Well, 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 Ephesus is a church that is just faithful. It is deep. It is significant. So Paul can invest his time in some deep and profound theological ideas that he then trickles down into how we're supposed to live in the most 
everyday kind of way. And, and he starts with this thing of talking about what it means to be in Christ. Now, in this series, what we want to understand that is that what Paul is, is driven by and what we as Christians believe in is this thing called the gospel. Now, the gospel is the story of God. It is the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we believe that is a good story, and it's good news. To be in Christ means you become part of that story. And what we want to do in our study of the book of Ephesians is we want to rediscover that story, and we want to reimagine. Because here's what I think about for many people and many Christians, when it comes to the story, the gospel of God, is you're leaving a lot of stuff on the table. You're, 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 you're leaving behind some of the best parts of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be living in the gospel. And, and so I'm going to challenge you to rediscover it, but I'm also going to challenge you to reimagine what exactly the gospel means. Let's go ahead and start by looking at Ephesians chapter 1. Now let's take a look at what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus. So Paul is writing to this great Ephesians church. We know a lot about this church. There's tons in the book of Acts about this church. It's a great church. So he's writing to them. He says, I'm writing to the ones in, uh, in Ephesus who are faithful. And what I want to point out here is that Paul could have put a period at the end end of the of faithful and it would have been a complete sentence it would have been a complete thought it would have been completely satisfactory but he doesn't do that instead he adds this little prepositional phrase for all you grammar geeks like me you say 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 in Christ Jesus right and so he adds this thing. And when you actually read it in the Greek language and you translate it, I've translated it, you, you see that and you have this beautiful sentence you just translated. And then all of a sudden, there's this prepositional phrase. Why did he do that? It was so clean. It was so neat. Well, because apparently something is important about this thing of being in Christ Jesus. And, and what you're going to discover as you study the first chapter of Ephesians this week, because you're all going to do that, right? And the first chapter of Ephesians is this thing of being in Christ seems like it's not necessary but it's actually the point. Now, what, is it, what does he want to do? He wants to give them grace to you and peace. So the gospel is all about two big concepts, grace and peace. Now, peace is God's standard for relationship. What is God trying to bring to your relationships? He's trying to bring peace. He's trying to bring peace between you and God. And that's what Jesus was all about. He's trying to bring you peace with yourself. He's trying to bring you peace in your other relationships. And so peace is what God has given us in Christ. And the other concept, and this is a huge concept in the book of Ephesians, it's the concept of grace. Now what grace is, at the heart of grace is, we tend to think at the heart of grace is this thing called mercy, and mercy is part of it, but at the heart of grace is power. That, that grace is the power of God to do three really big things. And we're going to deeply get into this next week, but let me just kind of just, just share this because it's important. The power of God to forgive our past, to cleanse our sins. And most of us get that. It's God giving us unmerited favor, that which we doesn't, don't deserve. God has the power. He has the authority. He has the right to forgive our past. The second thing is that it's the power for transformation in this life. It's the power for you to actually live above your addictions, 
to live above your compulsions, to live above your selfishness, to grow, to, to become a better person, a good person from whom good things naturally flow. You can't make yourself good, but by grace... God can transform you that. Now, the third thing is, is that it's the power of God, listen now, to sustain you, to complete you, and to finish you. That is to say, it's God's job to get you where you're supposed to be going. And, and this is an important thing because a lot of people have bad thinking on this. They, think, they say, you know, I know it was grace that I got my sins forgiven, and I know I need God's grace because I can't really do this. But you know what? I hope I'm good enough. And I hope I last long enough that, that I get to the end of the road. Well, you know why we know we're going to get to the end of the road when we're in Christ? Well, because from grace. The Bible says it's from grace to first to last. Now, again, we're going to get into that deeply next week. But think about the old hymn, Amazing Grace. One of the lines in Amazing Grace is that grace has got me safe this far. And what's the last part? And grace will lead me home. And so we're going to see the power of grace in our life, which is at the core to successfully living in Christ. Now, what I want to do is I want to come back to this concept of living in Christ and, and, and this thought of living in Christ, because I want to show you um, what a big deal is. And so I'm going to put the rest, uh, or the, the biggest part, the, the, the next big section of this chapter, and it's going to be too small for you to read, but I don't actually want you to read it now. I want you to notice everything in red. Because everything in red, two things about it. One, is it grammatically, it's completely unnecessary. It's not needed to finish a sentence. It seems extra. It seems unnecessary. But everything in red basically says in Christ. In him. Take a look. Watch this now. This is the next part of the chapter. Look at all the red up there. And so what you're going to find is that in ten verses, the Apostle Paul unnecessarily, grammatically... Reference being in him, in Christ, through Christ. But it's all the same prepositional word in the Greek. And so what the Apostle Paul is really driving home is that everything we have that really matters, everything that is important, everything that we should be striving for comes back to this thing of being in Christ. One of the things I want to challenge you to do this week is if you don't have one, is buy a Bible. Now, we have Bibles and we give them away and use one of those, that's great. But what would it look like for you to invest like in a good Bible? And a, and a translation you can read and understand. We can help talk that through a little bit for you at the Resource Center. Uh, we've got some there. Um, but, but more importantly, you can just go online. And, and even if you do the app thing with the phone, get one of the app ones that you can underline and you can, you can follow through, and you, you can really begin to study. Because one of the things you could do is you could read through chapter 1, and you could highlight every time it says, in him or in Christ. And all of a sudden, you're going to see this color looking back at you, and you're going to say, wow, he repeated that a lot. In fact, again, when you're translating it, it's annoying. I mean, it's just like, dang, dude, that's not necessary. You've made your points. It's not yet. I haven't said in Christ. I haven't said in him. And so it's a big deal. Let's take a look at how this fleshes itself out. Verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, completely unnecessary, you could say, blessed us with every, nope, blessed us in Christ. You see the interruption? You see how that thing that grammatically is not necessary actually is the point? That in Christ we have been blessed with every 
spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is to say that because of who Jesus Christ is, because of how he lived, how he died, how he rose from the dead, because of everything he taught through example and through word, because of who he is, we have received a blessing. And not just a blessing, every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm. That is to say that he has changed us, he has forgiven us, he has transformed us, and all of this is in Christ. He goes on from there, verse 4. He says, even as he has chose us in him, again, this in Christ, in him, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So he says he chooses us. And one of the words he uses a lot in Ephesians is the word predestination. And there's a lot of controversy about that. This is what I want to say about predestination. What it actually in essence means is God had a plan. From the very beginning, even before he laid down the foundations of the earth, God had a plan. And at the center of his plan was, guess what? Christ. And his plan was to bring you in Christ for you to get your sense of who you are and your identity and your ultimate destiny is all locked up in this thing of being in Christ. Now the other thing I want you to see is that his plan from the foundation of the earth is that you should be, look at this, holy and blameless. Now there's two ways that he makes you holy and blameless. One is positionally and the other is actually. Okay? So what does it mean to be positionally holy and blameless? Well, first of all, holiness means special. It means set apart from the common and the ordinary for a noble and important purpose. It is a term that speaks meaning to us. To be holy means, you know what? I'm not going to muck around in the ordinary and the common because like sin and brokenness and, and all that is, is, is common. Holy means I'm going to take you out of that and I'm going to put you in another place because I have something special for you to do, something important for you to do, something meaningful for you to do. What we're going to see in the book of Ephesians is that the book of Ephesians says that God has raised up Christ and seated Christ with him and then we're going to see this next week in chapter he has now taken us and seated us with Christ so that in the world, the age to come, we are actually going to rule with Christ. We're going to have purpose and meaning. And the things we do now prepares us for that. So when we accept Christ and he died and we believe he died for our sins, we are declared holy positionally. Now the other thing is that we are called to be blameless. Blameless means no one can bring an accusation against us. They can't dredge up your prayers. They can't accuse you. And because of what Christ did on the cross, his blood forgives us. And positionally, we are made blameless. That is to say that no one can blame us. But here's one of the things. This is our identity. How many of you know identity in Christ is important? There's another aspect to identity in Christ. That is destiny in Christ. This is where we move from simply being positionally holy and blameless to Actually holy and blameless. That is to say, we live our life separate from the common, the ordinary, and the sinful. This means that, that we are now blameless because we don't do anything that we shouldn't do. 
We are transformed from a sinful, broken person to a good person from whom good things naturally flow. Now, this past was our past here on earth. Ultimately, in heaven, our destiny. So we have an identity in Christ, but a destiny in Christ. Our destiny is to actually be holy people who act holy, to actually be blameless people. And another way of saying is that in Christ, we are declared righteous by his blood, but through the power of God, the grace of God, we are actually being made to actually be people who are righteous, who do the right things, who think the right way, who treat each other as we ought to treat each other. That is, listen now, our destiny. And so some of you have settled for a small part of the gospel. You've said, all I know is I'm a sinner. Jesus saved me. I get to go to heaven someday. And that is beautiful, wonderful. Grab hold of that. But don't leave on the table. And when I get to heaven, he is going to do things in me and through me for his glory, by his power, by his grace. I'm going to be something special in heaven. I'm going to be something that actually brings honor and praise and glory to God because God is making me into something beautiful. Next week, we're going to see that he actually calls us his masterpiece. And so when you understand your destiny is to rise above the common, the sinful, the broken, your destiny is to rise above the ordinary, those broken things we used to do, and for us to, as he says in Ephesians in another place, to clothe ourselves in Christ, we should constantly be saying, I live in the reality of my identity, but I'm moving towards the reality, the reality, the reality, the reality of my ultimate destiny. You see, identity is not enough. We need to recognize, too, that we have a destiny in Christ, and it's to be holy and blameless before him. There's another reference to it, in him. That one should be lit up. It's, it's a different preposition, but it's the same concept. Verse 5, in love, that could be another reference. Again, unnecessary, you could have just started verse 5. In love, look at this, he pre-planned, he made a plan, he worked it all out for us to be adopted to himself as sons and daughters. You know what that means? That means in the spiritual reality, you know the one that lasts forever, heaven, eternity. In the spiritual reality, you got invited to the cool kid table. You got invited to the place you want to be. And what that means is that because you have been included in Christ, your identity now is son and daughter with God, your destiny to live as a son and daughter of God, because of that, nothing can really hurt you that you can't have here. I mean, think about it. Because you are in Christ, it doesn't really matter that you're you know, not in the popular group or not in the wealthy group or not in the, 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 the famous group or not in the, this group. It doesn't matter that you're not in a relationship with that person you thought you needed to be because ultimately, whatever rejection you face in this world, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And, and I've been adopted uh, as a son. Look at it again. Through Jesus Christ. Again, the, the same preposition. We just use a different English word because we like to do that. And Greek prepositions have so much more meaning than ours. Anyway, through Christ, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is what he wanted. This was his will. This was his desire. His desire is to save you and then to make you something awesome. There is so much more that God offers you in the gospel than you have settled for. And, and your destiny in Christ is absolutely mind-blowing. That's why when you start recognizing that you, and you start focusing on that, in this life you will move towards what you focus on. And when you recognize that someday I'm going to rule with Christ, someday I'm going to be holy and blameless, that's who I'm going to be, you know what, I'm going to start moving towards that now. And you know what, this old mucky stuff, you know what, I want to be holy. I want to separate myself from that because God's got something special for me. 
God's got something powerful for me in this life and in the life to come. But I'm not going to be able to really do it if I muck around in this old stuff, you know. Some of you say, you know, the idea is, I'm just a terrible sinner and I, I just, all I have is God's forgiveness and there's truth to that. But the bigger truth is that I was a sinner. I was saved by grace and I'm being transformed into a saint. Did you notice how Paul addressed the church? He called them the saints in Ephesus. He didn't call them the sinners in Ephesus. Didn't call them the losers. You know, he called them the saints. All of this is through Christ. Now, he doesn't stop here. He says, in him, again, totally unnecessary. Could have started with, we have redemption, but nope. I want you to remember, he's saying, studying in Ephesians, in him, in him, through Christ, in Christ. In him, we have redemption. We've been bought back from that brokenness. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's all about the cross. And that he died for our sins. And on the cross, he achieved total merit, total, total power to forgive sins. The power, the cross gives Jesus the power to forgive sins. It gives him the power to dispense grace to us because of what he did on the cross. We'll show you that in a minute. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. On the cross, Jesus became wealthy in grace. Because his sacrifice was so complete, it was so worthy, his blood was so completely precious, it was such a satisfying event for God, he gets all this mercy, all this credit, all this merit with God, that now he can disperse to us. And look what it says, he says he is rich in grace, that's why God doesn't get stingy with his grace. See, my belief is that when we become followers of Christ and we become in Christ, he forgives our past sins, our present sins, and he puts a down payment and forgives our future sins. And then he has a plan to, to, to work sin out of our life. It's all part of his plan and part of our destiny. This is the riches of his grace. Some of you think that God is stingy with his grace. You think he's up there going, okay, Paul, I forgave you last time. Just to give you another shot, but you blew it. You're going to have to do some good stuff to make up for your stuff this time. Because I'm just, I'm almost out of grace. I'm, I'm running short this week. It says he's rich in grace. Because it was the divine man, Jesus Christ, on that cross. The ultimate sacrifice, completely worthy for the sins of the whole world. That's why it's in him, in Christ. You see, look at verse 8. He says that, that, that grace, look at this, which he stingily gives out. No? Oh, that he, that he makes you earn. That he, he shames you first and then he gives. See, this is what we think. See, we, we, we accuse God of being a terrible God when we do that. Say, God, you're stingy with your forgiveness. You're stingy. We have a lot of pride in our sin. Say, what do you mean by that? Some of you say, oh, my sin is just too bad. I've done too much. You could never forgive me. The cross of Christ is not sufficient. I, I, am, I am the most awesomest sinner of all. I'm the one who can't be forgiven. That's the narrative we tell ourselves. And what we're saying is that we, we have a God who's stingy with his grace, who's poor in his ability to forgive us. That he said, dang, I was going to forgive you, but I didn't see you going to do that. Wow. That really messes up my whole plan that I had from the foundation of the earth because your sins are so powerful. See what? See the folly of that? He lavishes uh, grace. He lavishes mercy. You got a struggle in your life saying, he can't, I can't get over that. I don't have the power of God. The grace and the power of God to help you overcome, he lavishes that. 
When we live in Christ, he sets us free. So I don't think, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it till the end. It's not about you making it till the end. Listen now, it's about him keeping you till the end. We're going to see that next week. You know, it's about his faithfulness, that grace that leads us home. You see, this is the power of God that he doesn't stingily give out. He lavishes upon us in all wisdom. He knows how to do it the right time and the right way. He knows which struggles to leave, which ones to take back. And insight, the things we need to learn, the things we need to take to us, making known to us the mystery of his will. Because in the Old Testament, people were like, what's God up to? What's his game? What's the end game here? You know what his end game is? In Christ. That was the mystery of his will according to his purpose. What was his purpose? Which was set forth in Christ. See how important it is for us to see ourselves in Christ? And and that's just everything. Paul's obsessed and so should we be. Verse 10. He says, um, as a plan, uh, as a plan for the fullness of time. I skipped one. I'm going to go back one. Uh, How do I do that? Can you go me back one? Nope, let's go to that. I did not skip one. Now I'm going to skip this one. All right, as a plan for the fullness of time, okay, at the perfect time to unite, look at this, some things, all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Now this is one, and again, you just got to rediscover this and reimagine this because one of the things people get confused about is that they think, okay, when I become in Christ, his goal was to redeem and save me, bring me to heaven someday. What I want you to see is that what he is doing, he is redeeming, he is uniting all things, both heavenly things and earthly things. So what does that mean? It means, it says in the book of the Revelation, that he's making a new heaven and a new earth. So what is he redeeming? Well, he's redeeming me spiritually. He's redeeming my mind. He's redeeming our culture. He's redeeming our our way of relating with each other. He's redeeming uh, the created order. He's redeeming the environment. He's he's putting it all together. The promises of God and his redemption and what he's bringing forth are so much more than we could possibly imagine. Your imagination is not sufficient to match the anticipation of the reality that's waiting to be revealed. Apostle Paul says in another place, he said, I got a glimpse of it in a vision, he said, and man, I, I don't have any words. I've never seen anything like it. I've never heard anything like it. He said, what's, what's, what's being prepared for us is absolutely stunning. And it is the, the, the uniting, the, the healing, I mean, the, 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 the renewal of all things. See, this is what the gospel, and all of this is just, Happening in Christ. Now, now, consider verse 15. This is what the Apostle Paul wants to do in Ephesians. And, and I think he wants to do for us. He said, for this reason, because we're in Christ and because all that offers in Christ, he said, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because I heard you put your faith in his life, death, resurrection, you put your faith in him in such a way, say, I'm a follower of him, I'm about him, I'm in Christ, I want to be on his team, I want to be in his movement, I want my story to become part of his story, I want my identity to be in him, I want him to change my thinking, change my behavior, I am in Christ. That's what it means to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, since you have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards the saints, Look what he says. He says, I do not cease just being thankful for you. He says, this is, the, this is the thing that makes me happy. This is the thing that makes the Apostle Paul go, that people could be in Christ. He says, remembering you in my prayers. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a study of the Apostle Paul's prayers, but he prays differently than we do. 
You know, we get prayer requests, and this is fine, good, and appropriate. I'm having a surgery, I need a job, a kid, and this, and I need some, you know, physical need. And it's okay, we're supposed to pray for our daily bread. But the Apostle Paul prays with eternity in mind. He prays deep soul prayers. We're going to have a whole message on his prayers from Ephesians. They're beautiful. But look what he says he prays for them. This is my prayer for us. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit. That's an attitude. That's an openness. A, a, a willingness to consider. A spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That he will, he will show you, he will reveal something in, again the preposition, the knowledge of him. That you would know about Christ. You would realize what it means to be in Christ. You'd recognize what you have. One of the biggest wastes of life is pining away for what we can't have. And we totally miss what we do have. I mean, anything you lose on earth is, is trash compared to what's being prepared for you in eternity. Look at verse 18. He says, my prayer is that you will have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know. The word there, the Greek word there means to experience, understand, to deeply believe that I've experienced. I know this to be true. That you might know what is the hope to which you have been called. That you have a destiny in Christ. The hope which you were called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He says, my hope is that you will just begin to understand what we've been given in Christ, what it means in Christ, that not only, certainly not only, but certainly our sins are forgiven in our past, but our present is being transformed, and our future is a glorious destiny, he goes on, and what is measurably, and, and, and the immeasurable greatness of his power, and so the other thing he wants us to see is the power that we have in Christ. I'll say more about that in a minute. Towards those who believe according to the working of his great might. And so here's one of the big themes again in the book of Ephesians. God's power. And, and what he says about God's power is that it's married to his grace. That grace gives it, by grace we have the power to be forgiven of sins. By grace we have the power to live above sin. By grace we will be brought into a state where sin can't even touch us anymore. Do you know that in your eternal destiny in heaven you will be such a righteous person that you won't want to sin. It's just, it's not that it's drawing or it's attempting, it's that that's just not who you are anymore. That it can't touch you anymore. It's not that you can't sin in heaven, it's that nobody would. It's not that there's a bunch of rules against the stuff you're not supposed to do in heaven. There are no rules because we'll be the kind of people who wouldn't do the things we ought not. And if we're that kind of people, who needs rules? We love each other and treat each other and all those kinds of things. It transforms us. This is the power of God. And he wants us to see that this power of God now has been given to Christ and through Christ to his people, the church. Take a look at this. This is just mind-blowing to me. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as the head over all things. Look at this little preposition. It's actually... Uh, that, it's a preposition in English, it's different in Greek. To the church. To the church. Uh, and gave him as head over all things to the church. That is to say, he then gave Christ to the church, gave the power of God through Christ to the church. This preposition in Greek means to, for, and you know what else it means? It means through. So we're going to see that Paul's vision for his church in the book of Ephesians is a vision of power. It's a vision that we are supposed to live in the power of God. Now it's not 
political power. It's not earthly wealth influence. It's not uh, physical strength power. It's the power that comes through love and conviction and justice and truth and community and loving. It's the power that comes from a life well lived, a righteous life. And that's what the church is called to do. It's called to share that with the world. And, and so that's what's wonderful and that's what is exciting. Now, um, when I think about that message and I think about what it means for you to be in Christ and for me to be in Christ and as a church for us to be in Christ, I get incredibly excited. So we've been on a journey as a church, right? So I don't know if you realize this or not, but in the next two years, we are going to turn 20 years old. Pretty good, right? Pretty good run. I don't know how I got that old but we are that old. And that's an amazing thing. It's a milestone. You probably don't know this, but most churches that start don't make it past their fifth birthday. Like, I'm talking like two-thirds. And, and, and of those ones, you know, 90% don't do real well. But here's something you may not know, is that most churches that really do well and thrive, they have about a good 20-year run, and then they start to decline. Most churches are what we would call a one-generational church. They're a church that did some amazing things in their time and their place, but, but, but at some point they said, you know what? We're going to take care of the people we got. We're, we're going to just make ourselves comfortable. We're going to keep doing things the way we've always done them, and we're not going to prepare for the next generation. And so as a church, we're getting ready to start something as a community called Legacy. And Legacy is a call for the community of our church in Christ to do some grown-up things, some mature things, some powerful things. So we just finished a five-year journey. So five years ago, we started this thing. We started dreaming and planning. We did some long-range planning for about five years. We did live it well. And at the beginning of five years, some of you admit it, you saw what we were talking about doing, buying land, expanding ministries, expanding staff, starting new stuff, building a building. You're like, yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. And the cool thing is, over those five years, everything we said we were going to do, God did. By his power, by his grace, through the power of God, through his people. And hundreds and hundreds of people have been baptized. Hundreds of lives have been changed. It's just been an incredibly glorious journey. Well, when we finished the, the, the uh, um, um, uh, uh, auditorium here, we, we finished that five-year plan. But we had already started praying, asking. We've asked many of you. You've been surveyed and you've been talked to. Uh, overseers and the team. And we believe we have a plan for the next two to three years. And then the next five years. And the next ten years. So that our church will be at a place where not only will we just continue to do amazing ministry. See lives change now. We are going to do some things to prepare so that the next generation is impacting lives in the Chippewa Valley. And that's what legacy is all about. And, and what we need to do is we need to get um, everybody together and we need to talk through what that looks like and, and, and what, what that's going to be and, and the things that we're going to do. And now there's thousands of people who come to our church. And so here's what's been going on. Some of you have already received something like this. Okay, it's an invitation to a couple events. Okay, um, now some of you have received some dates, some received the other dates because there's a, a few thousand people we're having over for dinner. So we got to kind of plan it a little bit. And so if you got this and you threw it away, go dig it out of the trash. Okay, uh, no, not well, maybe, but just to go there, grab that because here's the thing when you come to things like this, and this is unlike anything we've ever done, it truly is. 
You, 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 it is exciting. It is passionate. It is powerful. You get in the know. Say, okay, this is what God's doing. You see how you can get involved and say, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. And, and there are going to be some of us who come to this and will look back and, you know, five years from now and said, yeah, we were at the beginning where we were talking, we were praying, we were planning. And we saw God do things that will absolutely blow our mind. And then in eternity, we're going to look back and say, look at that generation that followed us. We set them up for success. So, so this church, because here's the deal, once a church figures out how to become multi-generational, it goes on sometimes for 200 years. It goes on and on and on. Historically, it's an absolutely amazing thing. And so we want to do that. So you got sent this, you got sent an RSVP, and there's all kinds of details, you know, about childcare, all that kind of stuff like that. So just be aware of that. If someone calls you and invites you, be nice to them, okay? And, and, and make a point of making that happen because you do not want to miss what legacy all is about, because it's all about us as a community being in Christ. It's about rediscovering the gospel, and it's recognizing in this age where there's a crisis of meaning, particularly among the young, we have the gospel. We have our destiny in Christ, and it changes absolutely everything. Let me talk to you about a couple next steps we can take coming out of this weekend. The first next step I want to just remind you of is that if you don't have a Bible, buy a Bible. Make the investment and start reading Ephesians. Grab um, one of those devotions. If you've got a Bible and you're not sure where it's at or, or you hadn't looked at it for a while, I want you to do this. I want you to go home, I want you to grab it, and then I want you to go, okay? I would have us all practice that, but we'd spit all on each other and it wouldn't be good. That's what I'd like you to do. And then I'd like you to open to Ephesians and grab the devotion, and I'd like you to start getting serious again because you're in Christ. You have a destiny to live above the common and the ordinary. You will rule and reign with Christ. There are things that you need to be preparing for and moving towards. And God's grace will do it in you. Say, I'm nothing, but Christ is everything. Say, I'm powerless, but he is powerful. Say, I'm weak, but he's strong. See, that's the thing about grace doing all this in you. So we're going to get a Bible. We're going to start doing the devotions. We're going to attend a legacy gathering. You know, some of you haven't received your invitations yet. Some of you have, uh, you know, and, and, and you all will. And, and we want 100% engagement. We want you to be praying and working and understanding what God's getting ready to do. And as we get ready uh, the fall, you know, we're looking for folks to serve again uh, in the most wonderful way, getting our church strong and ready. Some of you who are some of our seasoned leaders, um, we're going to be uh, doing a legacy study. And it's going to be such a good study. We're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. And it is a powerful book. And I cannot wait to show. It's a book about meaning. It's about a book about how to find meaning in life. And so um, we're going to do uh, small groups. And so we're looking for some small group leaders. If you're interested in that, you can talk to Jenny. You can come to the leaders night. And so we as a church are, are getting ready to not play it safe. We as a church are getting ready to say, okay, God, what's our next step? That we could be the church of Jesus Christ in Christ 2019 through 2040 and beyond in Christ, in this place, that you would be known, that you would be glorified, that lives would be changed. And so um, there's some steps for all of us to take. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that we are in Christ, that before the foundations of the earth, you had a plan, and it was a good plan. It was your desire, it was your will to be, have us, included us. You wanted us. You came after us. And your plan is rich. It's a forgiveness of sins. It's an inclusion in your family. It's a new identity and a future a destiny 
that we are being moved from what we were to what we are. We are on a journey, and it's transformational. Father God, I pray that each one of us would marvel at this. Each one of us would re-embrace it. Each one of us would, in some small way, leave behind the common and the ordinary of the past and embrace the holy, which is to see our lives as something significant, something special, set aside for the purposes of God. Father God, I pray for your church, Jacob's Well. pray that you would prosper her in this place. Not that we would be famous, but that you would. Not that, that, that we would be blessed, but that this community would be blessed. And that transformation would take place today and long beyond when, 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 when we're not here. Father God, I just pray um, that you would be glorified in all of this. Thank you for the work you have done, the work you are doing, and the work that you are preparing. And I pray this stuff, in even in Jesus' name, amen.